welcome to a new series we are calling Conversations With. My name is Shaylee Hugendorn and I live with Bipolar 2 Disorder. And my name is Julie Kraft and I am also living with Bipolar 2 Disorder. Julie and I believe in the power of storytelling. We know that sharing with others is healing both individually and collectively. There are so many different experiences. So we wanted to share more stories of Bipolar with you and interview others. Our stories are powerful. They can become a source of strength and hope and inspiration. Our voices need to be heard. Our stories aren't over yet. This is Bipolar. Welcome to This is Bipolar Conversations with. I'm Shaylee Hugendorn. I am one half of This is Bipolar, and I am so excited to interview um, the second person in a series. I've been following her on Instagram. Um, she has the most beautiful content, and I just knew I had to talk to her. Tatiana, I would just love if you could um, introduce yourself. Yeah. So my name is Tatiana. I run the Instagram account Bipolar Rights. I started it less than a year ago, I think almost six months ago. And I've created the most beautiful community. I like to use my platform to educate people, but also empower people specifically who have bipolar disorder, type one or type two, or who think they have bipolar disorder or who have loved ones who have bipolar disorder. And so um, I started it originally because I'm working on writing a memoir about my experience with bipolar. And I'm really lucky to have the amazing community that I have. And I'm so happy to be here with you um, on this podcast. And I can't wait to like talk about awesome stuff. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited you're here. Julie and I always say, like, we searched far and wide for, um, you know, just the face that we could see when we were first diagnosed. And so that's why we wanted to do what we do. And it sounds like, sounds like you, um, you do the same. So Yeah, that's actually, that's a beautiful way of putting it. Actually, that's a, that's exactly the same reason I do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. We always talk about like, it's so beautiful and, and people tell us that it's so helpful, but it's also like, it's, it's healing a, a piece of us as well. Right. Yeah. Or the more that we share, we talk about, you know, normalizing everything and smashing stigma. It's my favorite thing to say. Um, but the more that we talk about it, it also deals with our internalized stigma and also just makes it more normal. I, I know that like I talk about it so much that sometimes I'm, you know, in random conversations and sometimes I'm not aware that maybe not everybody talks about these things. Right. I would love to just jump in and get started. I know you did an IGTV a while ago and I listened to it. And so I have a little bit of an idea, but um, I'm just really, really um, happy that you're here. And I'm really excited to hear about how, how your story played out and um, not excited because uh, I'm sad that these things happened, um, but more excited that it's gonna connect with other people. And I yeah. There's people that are alone and um, not talking about these things. And I know that they'll be able to see themselves in your story, or like you said, loved ones and might be able to um, be, be further compassionate to a person that they love that may be struggling. So I would love to hear, when did you, how old were you and when and how did you notice that there was something wrong or different? Yeah. Um, so I think when I started to notice there was something wrong when I was probably like 16, um, I was diagnosed when I was 17 and leading up to the diagnosis, I, I knew something was off. So I did theater all growing up and I learned that your body is your instrument and you have to be in tune with it and you have to listen to it when it's telling you something. And when I listened to my body at that point, I was like, oh, something sounds broken. Something sounds like a gear is missing or it needs a little 
tweak and the screw. And so I knew something was off. I didn't know what it was. And I did what everyone does. Like I Googled it, um, especially when I started because I, I first experienced depression when I was like 13, 13, 14. I experienced depression that kind of felt normal. Um, and I expected that. But when I started experiencing mania is when I knew something was off, especially when it started to go from mania to depression, because that didn't feel normal for me. That felt very abnormal. It felt like something new that wasn't who I was or who I thought I was. And I mean, there is there were signs much sooner than when I was diagnosed that something wasn't right growing up. You know, I had a lot of, it's interesting. I've learned through a lot of research that if you, the way that kids inter, young kids interact with the world really informs things that you can tell about them as they grow older. So with people who are likely to be diagnosed with bipolar as they get older, some things you can look out for in kids is big temper tantrums. Like kids have big temper tantrums, but abnormally large, having really strong feelings, maybe even being aggressive, having really massive fits. And that was something I had as a kid. Having anger issues is something else that they say can be a telling sign of maybe a further mental health diagnosis when you get older. And when I was a young kid, I was in therapy for, I think those anger issue problems and so, but I was adopted. And so we didn't have medical history or any mental health history. So on my parents' end, a lot of it was just, this is just who she is. She's just being a kid. Right. And so when I kind of know something was off as I got older, I had a really hard time finding support and finding help for myself. I ended up being a really good advocate advocate for myself just because I had to. And I, the first time I like reached out for help, I went to like a mental health clinic near me and it was, I was so anxious. I was super anxious because mental health wasn't something that we talked about growing up. Um, my parents, it just wasn't their thing because they grew up in a different generation and that's understandable. And so I didn't tell them right away. And I was really anxious because this was all new to me as well. And I remember I was 17 and I didn't have my insurance and I didn't have parental consent. And so they couldn't really do anything, which is the hard part about being old enough to make your own choices, but legally limited by the law. And so I was really distraught. They let me speak to a nurse. And after I like, poured my heart out. I was crying my eyes out. I was so anxious and terrified of what was happening inside of me. She said, you know, try going to therapy, try mood stabilizers. And when I heard that, it was almost like confirmation, which was even scarier mm -hmm. for me. That was confirming my, my fears, which was terrifying. I was like, oh, <gasps> I was hoping you wouldn't say anything. Yeah, I was hoping you would tell me I was a hormonal teenager. And that was super scary. And then I eventually found a therapist on my own. But again, I lacked some of the parental support. And so I ended up getting into therapy because I'd had a really bad day at school and my guidance counselor put me in therapy. And it wasn't until months later that... I was still undiagnosed. I wasn't receiving any treatment besides weekly therapy, mm -hmm. which can be enough for some people. And for others, that's not everything you need in treatment. And months later, like it was, I had finished my junior year of high school and it was probably two months before I started my senior year. And I was, I felt like I wasn't getting enough support. I, I knew something was still wrong in my gut and I knew that I needed more help. I needed more support and I needed more education. I needed to have more professionals around me because it felt incomplete. And so I drove myself to the hospital um, and I didn't tell anyone. 
I think I told my best friend that I was kind of having the idea to make this decision, but I didn't tell her I was necessarily going to do it. And I was coming home from work one day and I just said, you know what? I need to do this. Something in my gut tells me that there is something I'm missing, that I need more support. And so I drove myself to the hospital. My mom was out of town. And so my dad showed up and he was amazing. He was very, he dealt with the situation beautifully. And it was really, it really helped me relax. And I was, so I was hospitalized inpatient for I think like three weeks and then outpatient for another two and a half, three weeks. So it was a long stay. And at the end of that treatment is when I got a bipolar diagnosis and my heart sank because I knew that I needed mental health treatment, but I didn't want a label, especially because a label like bipolar can be so stigmatizing and so negative and super scary. And so I, that, I hated that, hated it. I knew it was coming. I was hyper aware that it was coming, but it still was hard to hear someone say it because it hadn't been said. Can you bring me back a bit? I'm curious about just because I didn't, I think looking back now that there were probably some symptoms. I was diagnosed really late. Like I was 32, I believe. 32, I think so. I don't know. Not good at math. Math is hard. Um, but I'm curious if you could speak to like kind of like symptoms because just, I know that there's a lot of people out there just wondering, and I know that bipolar gets misdiagnosed a lot. And a lot of the times that's major depression. Um, and you said you had been experienced depression and then started um, experience, experiencing the mania. And I'm curious, can you walk us through what that would look like? Like, would you change in a, in a day or would you have like a week of really being down? Or tell me some of the kind of things because, um, that seemed uh, out of character for you, just for people that are curious that are either watching, um, you know, their teenage child. And, and I'm curious too, only because you're right. Um, absolutely. People could say, you know, this is because teenage time with your hormones and everything like that, they could think that it was, um, you know, an, a normal teenage behavior. I know I was a first child and I was the only girl. So my parents had nothing to compare to. They thought that, you know, outbursts or, or whatever was happening was, you know, maybe just was the way it was the way it is, right? So I'm curious if you could just walk me through what that looked like in your daily life, the depression and the mania. Who I am as a person, just true, genuinely me, mm -hmm. is hard, especially in the beginning, was hard to distinguish from the mania. Especially at the time when I started having manic symptoms, because at that time, a lot was happening in my life. I had just won a major state award for my work in computer science. I was being interviewed by, thank you. I was being interviewed by a lot of people. I was working with Microsoft. I was teaching all the time. And it turned out that that was an amazing mask for my symptoms because I was already high energy, moving, moving, excitable at that time because so many great things were happening so young and I felt incredible. And that was the perfect kind of concoction to hide these symptoms that were actually mania, but I thought were just because I'm very busy and I have a lot to do and there's so much happening and I need to keep on top of stuff. Mm. On top of feeling like I was doing so well and I needed to maintain this momentum. The problem was because that hit the mania so well, it really, really highlighted the depression. So I would be manic and it would seem normal and it would be great. But then when I would get depressed, it was so obvious, at least to me, um, because, because we didn't talk about mental health growing up, I hid my depression symptoms pretty well. One, because I didn't want people to think something was wrong with me. And I knew that at this time in my life, I kept thinking I should be happy. Why am I not happy? Good things are happening. And so when I start to get an inclination that mm, something's not right here, 
I, you know, I played Dr. Google. I Googled everything. I was like, am I borderline? Am I bipolar? Do I have any number of things? And, but the bipolar seemed to fit. It seemed to make sense. And so I started tracking my moods because that's what they say to do. And I wanted kind of evidence to prove like, hey, this doesn't feel right to me. And I felt like if I didn't show evidence, people wouldn't believe me. And so I started tracking my moods and I don't do it anymore because I'm in a very stable place and I understand my cycles and myself a lot better. But peak kind of, undiagnosed bipolar, I was, my episodes were about a month long. So I would be depressed for a month and then I'd be manic for a month. And somewhere in there also would be mixed, which people don't talk about mixed episodes very much, but the mixed episodes were, I think probably some of the hardest. Um, and, um, and I think also in there were probably pretty stable days because that's the other thing I think people don't talk about is that People who have bipolar disorder can have stability at times. I think you hit on something that I really wanted to talk about is the um, mixed because I didn't think I experienced mixed before because in my head I could see, uh, you know, such a the dramatic shift. Yeah. I'm finding um, that now I get some mixed episodes where I didn't, mm-hmm. I will have like, the very best day or like the very best interview or, or, you know, just a really, really good day. And then like, you would think that that would, you know, keep me going for the rest of the day. And then I'll find myself like wanting to go to bed and just like sobbing that like, and not why. And then I find, let me know if you think the same thing is I find that what's worse than the mood or the sobbing or the, you know, whatever I am, if I, if I have some anger, whatever, What's worse is instead of just feeling it, not only am I feeling it, I'm like judging myself for feeling it. Yeah. And so it's like this, you're like double whammy, right? Yeah. Feeling totally terrible. And then, you know, I have this voice that's like, even though I know healing's not linear, I'm just like, you know, you, you, you know better than this kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, you know better than this. I'm like. Sometimes. Something I struggle with a lot is, especially when I was first diagnosed, this was very hard for me and my family, was knowing that I can be bipolar and I can be still struggling with my symptoms, but I can have a good day that's not mania. And I can have a bad day that's not depression. And that was something that was really tough for a lot of people in my life, myself included, to kind of get because there are times where I would have a beautiful day and I'd be so happy and energetic and I would spend the whole day questioning, am I stable? Am I okay? Is this a good day or should I be worried? And that in and of itself is so draining because then you can't, right. It's, and I feel like I can't enjoy the happiness because I'm just waiting for something to go wrong. One of the things that was really awesome in therapy, and I've told my friends, is that she talked about being a demon. She talked about, like, say you're feeling for that day or whatever I'm feeling, ask people around you, like, you know, is this, uh, uh, you know, within a normal range of reaction for this type of thing to happen in your life? Or is this, um, you know, normal? And I started, I remember I started thinking about, like, oh, like the average, when this happened, this is really sad, or this really, the average person would feel like that. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't always have to be, mind you, usually mine's a little, you know, a little bit more sad or yeah. to the extreme, but sometimes it's, uh, for lack of a better word, like normal um, uh, reaction. I think the thing is, when we think about stability, we're thinking about a straight line, but that's not true everybody bipolar or not has natural ups and downs and that is normal it is completely normal if you don't that's not you should talk to someone (laughs) but what distinguishes bipolar from those normal ups and downs is how up and how down they are and that's hard to adjust to like I really struggled adjusting 
to understanding that I can have normal ups and downs without it being a symptom. Because I, when I thought of stability, I thought straight. I'm not super happy. I'm not super sad. I'm just neutrally in the middle, but that's unrealistic. And that's not how life works. Now life has ebbs and flows. And, you know, that's, that was a hard thing for me to understand when I was first diagnosed was, well, well, I thought, I thought everyone was, but how am I supposed to know if, and that can be so overwhelming. And I've had people ask me about it. And that's the thing that just takes time and getting to know you and yourself, even though it seems like, I just want to know, I just want to figure it out. Yeah. I'm thinking back to what you were talking about when you were, you know, talking about getting your award and your successes and, and teaching and medicine and talking about high energy. And I don't know if you relate, um, but uh, I always thought that was my normal. So that high uh, functioning and you know I'm a naturally energetic person like you said we can't take it apart like what is, she, mm-hmm. what is that you can't really take it apart but I think my baseline is quite high so I remember the depression being so bad and awful and not me that I think it took me a long time to recognize the hypomania so I bipolar too um, because uh, it was it seemed like that's who I was right mm-hmm. like that that was who I was and the hard thing is and I can imagine that this happened to you is that you get a lot of praise yes right? oh my I'm so glad you said that I it's so funny that you said that so and I talk a lot about this in my book I'm actually I just was editing and wrote a chapter about it but I had my psycho my psychiatrist psychologist in the hospital say stop praising her because my family was so proud of me and I my my grandparents especially and my mom especially and I got so much positive attention and I have built and I'm trying to deconstruct it, ne- deconstruct it now, but I have built some of my self-worth off of applause and approval and that validation. So much of my self-worth is based off of that. And my psychologist just was like sitting down with my parents and said, stop praising her. And he was right. Because the thing is, when we're doing well, we know. I know when I'm doing well. I don't need all the confidence boosts I'm aware of it and overconfident yeah I'm like better at everything yeah (laughs) right best ideas it's either I feel like with me it's either two things it's either I am the best and nobody's better than me or like I am the worst everyone's better than me it's so weird to be able to feel both of those right yeah yeah but so like dead on like exactly it was a lot of it was that praise really fueled me and like just spiraled. Yeah. And I find too, um, especially in, in work and in things we do, like Julie's an artist, I do a ton of things like I teach, but then I also do event planning and then uh, social media marketing and then a podcast. I like to do all the things. Um, <laughs> I get bored really easy, but it's like you get so creative. I think one of the symptoms that people miss in hypomania or mania is the almost like the laser focus on the one thing. Yes. Something else gets thrown out and goes to crap. Yes. But I think that that's why when I'm not surprised, but I know lots of people are surprised when someone that's been really innovative or really successful and they find out they have bipolar, they're like, and I'm yeah. Like, Let's smash that stereotype because we have amazing ideas and can implement them, right? Yes. I'm trying to learn how to do these things and not crash. And I even like, even though I've been interviewing forever or like doing podcasts for a really long time, other interviews, I always try and make the day after or the afternoon like rest because you have, it's, I call it a vulnerability hangover, right? when you're talking about, um, you know, hard things and opening up your heart and and that kind of thing, or even when I put my work out there, like when I do an event or whatever, I always tell like my friends or my team, like 
give me, depending on how big the event is, a day or a week before we talk about what could have gone better. Or yeah. Move, right? Because it's like I have this raw, sensitive skin and it's like any critique would be like, would sunburn yes. me. And I can't, I can't handle the criticism at first. And it's mostly, I try to explain to people, it's mostly because I'm going over everything. Mm-hmm. And if anybody else points out something that I've already beat myself up about, then I'm done. But in a week, I can have perspective. And I'm sure that people saw you doing all these amazing things. And I bet you, you know, having bipolar disorder, or having that really interesting brain. Yeah. Able to be so innovative. Yeah. It's, it's, I really connect with that. Um, because one of the first symptoms and one of the first things I can tell that I am going into a manic phase is that I get extremely obsessive over some niche topic. The last time I can remember it happening, I had had this idea, which I still think is a brilliant idea. And I actually am convinced the government is working on it based off the mounds of research that I've done. But the, so I have a background in computer science and technology. And I have always thought it would be really helpful and innovative and cool if there was a way that we could treat bipolar with technology without using medication because so many people have hesitations about it or it affects their life negatively with the side effects. And so I was like, what if we created a piece of computer technology that was inserted into the brain that would stabilize moods for you without the need to take prescription medicine and could be controlled by your psychiatrist? Now, That's a very, very complicated thing to do. One, because we don't understand the brain enough. And two, because we don't understand bipolar enough. They're just now learning about some of the genes that are associated with it. And so it's so complicated to, it sounds so simple to do, but it's super complicated. And I became really obsessed with figuring out how would I do that and what would be the best technology to start this type of project. And I started learning a lot about Um, the technology that we, that doctors and scientists are using to monitor brains with magnetic things and with deep brain stimulation. And I got really, really into it. And I remember specifically because I was in Virginia for my grandmother's funeral and we were at the hotel and I spent every free second that I had at a desk, at the computer, doing research, printing things out, highlighting just so obsessively on this topic that in reality was a bit unrealistic for me to complete. But it was all I could think about. It's all I cared about. It was everything that I wanted to talk about. And that was my first, I didn't know it at the time, but that was my first kind of signal of, ooh, red light ding ding something's we need to rewire something in here ding ding talk to your doctor (laughs) well and I think that um uh to speak to some of the language you're using I know that it's obsessed gets thrown around but a lot of mental health disorders they overlap and it is Mm -hmm. in bipolar you get uh, you know obsessive thoughts and or sometimes intrusive thoughts as well and so when I can hear in Tatiana's story that it's not, uh, you know, an interest. This is like, you can't get blinders. You can't think of anything else. And in fact, like, I don't know about you, but when I'm doing a project, like other things like duties, like eating, like in my way, I'm solving a world problem here. Yeah. What are you asking me to to dish? Yeah, like that's something too that became an issue is I would get so focused and so invested in something that I wouldn't eat. Like I remember doing theater and during tech week, which is the week before the show goes up, my mom saying like, did you eat anything today? And I'm like, oh no, I'm fine. Even though I just had 10 hours of intense dance rehearsal and singing and being on stage and costumes and lights. And she's like, so you haven't eaten anything since I dropped you off at 8 a.m. and now it's 10 p.m. Yeah. I'm like, no, I know. I've been busy. And she's like, you didn't get a lunch break. I'm like, yeah, no, we got a lunch break, but I was busy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
yeah, it's yeah. everything kind of and it's so this is my this is a weird quirk that I have I I hate going to the bathroom now let me explain that I hate going to the bathroom because when I'm not borderline manic I can have a hard time getting focused and zoning in my attention enough to actually start something yeah. and the reason I hate going to the bathroom is because when I get in that place yeah, I know exactly. going to the bathroom completely breaks it and so I'll be working on something and if I have to use the toilet I go nope you're gonna hold it until you're done because you cannot lose this and there have been times where I have wish that I could be manic just for a week to finish some projects okay. you know I hear you I miss the good parts of it right and I've talked yeah. to other people before and I know that people that are neurotypical or don't have um, not neurodiverse or don't have bipolar or other mental health disorder they're like why do people stop their meds or how could they or what are they thinking and I'm yeah like, I get it I won't because I know yeah to other people in my family and what it eventually does to me um but i can understand why people yeah you if someone hasn't experienced hypomania haven't had full-blown mania they don't understand how amazing it feels to just have that you just you just believe you could do anything or even yeah everything is so beautiful like i'll listen to music or watch a a movie or something and it just like it speaks to my core well everything has more meaning it's like everything's deeper everything yeah and late so lately like the past few months I've been in this weird place where I have felt like and I feel like it, it's odd because I've been diagnosed for almost three years for you oh shoot is it four four years <laughs> and I was like hard. Hard. right <laughs> and there and I feel like this is something I should have felt sooner than I did but there have been times more recently where I felt almost like not myself because there have been times where I know I should be sad but I'm not sad enough yeah and I remember talking to some loved ones of mine and saying like I don't like I would stop my meds just so I can feel something yeah. you know and because it's and it's not that I'm not feeling things normally it's that I'm reminiscing about how I used to feel and how powerful that was even depression I was like I would give anything to be depressed right now because I just want to feel something powerful and I feel like I'm not and it almost felt like I was my feelings were incomplete you know and that's kind of the feeling I was getting of sort of like I'm feeling things and I know this is normal but it feels like something is missing it feels like an incomplete feeling because I'm not feeling it at the intensity that I know that I can that's so interesting I struggle with that right now that was just like an aha moment for me thank you um, okay it was I struggle with I always feel like there's more do you know what I mean mm -hmm. that I'm more and it's not so much fear of missing out but it's just like even in the summer because I don't teach in the summer and a lot of the other things I do slow down I just feel like I'm not I making the most of my day I've been starting to ask people like well what do you get done in an average day or you know what what does your summer look like other yeah. days or whatever and I realize that I still compare my days to a hypomanic day that's what in my head mm. I think a full day is I totally relate to that I really do especially because especially right now because I'm writing this book yeah. and there are times where I dream and I have fantasies about what can happen with it and what I know the potential I know that it has and I spend so much time daydreaming about the potential and I don't work on it and I'm like Ugh. If I worked on it, then these things could come true. But then I would rather just daydream about the magic of what could be. And I beat myself up, up about that a lot because I'm like, I spend so much time fantasizing about what it could be. Why don't I work on it so it can become that? But I am working to, I, okay, 
I'm a very, very big person on reframing mindsets because that is something that has been very important for me when it comes to being able to be in a better state. And so I'm trying to reframe my mindset rather of seeing it of when I'm spending so much time daydreaming and not being productive. I'm trying to see it more as I am manifesting, I'm cultivating what I want in these daydreams. I am giving myself um, ambition and power by doing this. And so that when I do it, I have the motivation and I have the inspiration rather than seeing it as, oh, I just spent so much time in my head dreaming about something that's so silly. I should have been working on it. I'm trying to see it as a tool to help me write this book rather than a prohibitor of it. So good. So good. And it's interesting how we think things need to be done. Just because I do things a lot of unconventionally, I always think the other one is normal. And I'm like, no, what works for you works for you. And it's interesting you say that because I have a lot of writer friends and you realize how much the other stuff is a part of writing, right? Yeah. We'll get you to that place. I love that. Yeah. I want to get back to your story. So bring okay. it back. You know something's wrong. You need more help. Are you having thoughts of harming yourself or others? What was the the main pusher to getting you to the hospital that day that you took yourself? I had had thoughts of suicide when I was like 13, 14. I never acted on them because in reality, having, you know, being suicidal isn't wanting to die. It's usually just wanting that pain to stop. Um, and so every, so I've been hospitalized twice and it's never been because of a manic episode. I think, I think the last time I was, was more of a mixed episode, but the first time was that I was depressed. I was having feelings of self-harm. I think I had self-harmed once or twice, um, before the hospitalization point, but I didn't see it necessarily right away as a bad thing. Um, And I think part of my struggle with seeing it as like a red flag to go to the hospital immediately, you can't keep yourself safe, was because there was some media coming out at the time that almost normalized it. Like everyone is self-harming. And so I didn't see it as kind of like a problem. I kind of just saw it as, I'm sure there are five people in my class do it and they're fine and so I was definitely having the suicidal ideation I was I was a danger to myself and before I went to the hospital I had I had talked to the guidance counselor and this was when they when she set me up with the therapist I had had a very stressful day and I went to her broke down and told her everything that I had been like stashing pills and that I had suicidal thoughts and that I was feeling very unsupported and that something was wrong and very adamant, like something is not right. I need help. Please help me. And my school, I went to the most amazing high school in the world. Very, very supportive. They gave me the week off of school. And I think I was in therapy every day or almost every day that week. And so they gave me the week off because even if I couldn't see it, I was a danger to myself. And they were like, you need to do some TLC and take care of yourself, take a breather, relax. And I was always really grateful for that. I had the most amazing support system through my school. And so I had already kind of been in this place where people had kind of told me like, hey, what you're doing, it's not safe and you should do something about that but I was at a point where it seemed pretty normal that people self-harmed or that people were depressed and had anxiety and so I didn't really see it as like a red flag what I did see as a red flag was the shifting of the mood so quickly that's what I knew was wrong but I didn't see the depression as an issue and it was hard to see the mania until it got like full-blown and I started to have psychotic symptoms that I knew oh that's not great and so tell when, me, tell me about that. What were, what are yours just for people that don't understand? Yeah. My psychotic symptoms, typically I have 
really big delusion. So in the past, I have had, um, I actually got a question on my Instagram about it the other day, and I'll talk about this one first. I had someone ask, have you ever wanted to kill yourself while manic? And the answer is yes. Um, because what had happened was I, for whatever reason, I don't, my delusions aren't, I think a lot of people with bipolar have similar things like you believe you're God or whatever. And I've never had one of those. Mine aren't, they don't really track. They're not consistent. Um, so the one that I had where I wanted to die was I believed that if I killed myself in a specific way that I would be reborn as this better, pure, almost healed being. And I wanted that because in my mind, I saw this bipolar illness as something damaging about me. And it was kind of me wanting to be fixed in a way. Um, and so I've had that, I've had, I have a lot of paranoia. Um, like I've had times where I've stayed up all night because I'm terrified that there's a man watching me outside my window and I can't see him, but he can see me. Um, I've, oh, I believe that I could fly. I believe. And then the last one I, uh, I think was that I thought that, and I, and I don't know what brought this on. I think I was like hearing ringing in my ear or something, but I thought that aliens had like invaded my brain. Like they'd put something in my brain and they were watching me, which kind of tied into the paranoia. And so that's when I get to that point, that is how I know that I'm really unwell. Um, and that's the reason I'm not just on mood stabilizers. I am on antipsychotics to dim those symptoms that can be pretty harmful. Yeah, that's a bit amazing that you can recognize that they're not, because sometimes people get so in it, you can't. It's yeah. All your reality. I, something that I feel like should be helpful but isn't is the fact that I am super, super self aware. Yeah. And so there are times when. So this is something that I don't talk about very often. It's not bipolar related, but it is a part of my mental health story. And I talk very, very, very little about it, but I do think that it's important. I struggled a lot with um, food and eating when I was in high school. And I always had this weird paradigm of like, I know that I need to eat more. I know that I want to gain some weight to be at a healthier place. But then also like being hyper aware that what I was doing wasn't okay, wasn't normal, that I want to be healthier. But then having this other part of my brain say, that sounds terrifying. Weighing whatever amount sounds terrifying. And the annoying back and forth of logic and illogical thoughts you know, because that's something I've always had a hard time with is I'm hyper aware of the logical side of things, but my intrusive thoughts battle it so well. And they're, it's so strong that it, I, it's so overwhelming because I'm like, I know, I know that this isn't right, but I can't, I struggle. Yeah. And it's like, I think that really explains mental illness well, because like, like the whole people like snap out of it or just, you know, redirect your thought. Yes, 100% yeah. do that. But it's like every second, like it's like, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I sometimes like, I would say like, sometimes I wish I didn't know. I wish I didn't have the yes. part because then it wouldn't be so painful. I just, yeah. but of course it would be terrible because I would be swept away with these, yeah. these horrible thoughts. But I find that back and forth that you're talking about. Yeah. So painful. Thank yeah insight into that wow yeah. yeah so bring me back you are driving you have arrived at the hospital what is your hope what was your hope in going you just knew you needed help and so you my hope was I knew I needed more support than I was getting and I knew that I I knew that I needed some sort of diagnosis because it was just this gut feeling that something wasn't aligning. Yeah. And 
with the therapist that I had had at the time, we danced around the word, word bipolar. I didn't want to say it. I was very ashamed and I didn't want to acknowledge it. But we both knew what was happening because I would track my moods. We were both aware of what was going on, but I was in a place where I did not want to acknowledge it outside of being like, yeah, I'm a little moody, but I'm a 17 year old girl. So what? And it got to a point where I felt if I continue this trajectory, it's going to get worse. And what was scarier than getting a stigmatizing label was being sick. I, one of the things I'm scared most of in the world is getting severely unwell again, because it's so unpleasant. And I just wanted to be better. I just wanted to feel okay. So when you went to the hospital, because you said you went twice, um, tell me what those experiences were like for you. Or maybe first tell me, did when you went to the hospital, did you stay and did they work towards getting your diagnosis? Like the first time did you get your diagnosis? So the first time I went, I was in, I was in children's hospital because I was 17. So I was a minor, but I was older, you know, and I, it was pretty tough because they do so many evaluations to help to understand you and who you are and what you're going through. And what made it harder was that there was no family history, no medical history, no mental health history. So that whole portion of it was missing, which meant more tests, more evaluations, more talking to doctors all the time. And they did put me on a medicine and it knocked me out. Like I slept all day. And I, so I think they switched it, but I don't remember. Um, but I was still pretty unwell in the hospital because I remember having a rough night and being manic and not being able to sleep and like pacing in my room and just thinking, uh, oh, it was, so I, I don't know where it came from, but I had created this figure in my head, Squirrel Girl. And her purpose in my mind at the time was Squirrel Girl keeps people from going nuts, which Honestly, Cute. pretty creative. I know. And so that's like, I was like, I was like, we talked about, like I was aware that something was wrong, but I was trying to keep myself normal. And that was that back and forth. And it became pretty overwhelming that I was pacing and I was having a really rough night and they ended up giving me some stuff to help me sleep. And I woke up and I felt better, but my experience, it was very thorough. And so when I got to the end of it, one, the bipolar diagnosis fit, it did. And it felt, although it was scary, it felt like, okay, this is a thing there. It is super treatable. If you're able to get the treatment, I can live a good life. But after he said, we're giving you a bipolar diagnosis. He also said, and, and, which was awful. He goes, and we want to keep an eye out for borderline personality tendencies. Okay. And I was not prepared for that one. Like I was prepared for bipolar and it was scary, but I was prepared for it, but I was not prepared for that. And my stomach sunk and it got twisted. I was like, you're telling me now that it's not just my moods. It is my personality, which was terrifying. And so the second time I was hospitalized, the second time I was hospitalized was much shorter. I was inpatient for a week and outpatient for a week. And it was what I needed. So for your second one, how far apart were they? So the first time I was hospitalized, I was 17 and it was in the summer. And then the second time I was hospitalized, I had just started my freshman year of college and we we're a, it was right before Thanksgiving break and my mom and two aunts were visiting and I actually a lot of my triggers at the time happened to be were around rejection and feeling unwanted and unloved because I do a lot of my trauma comes from being adopted and how that made me feel and I had just gotten broken up with and that was a really big, big trigger for me. And it 
sent me spiraling almost instantly. But that wasn't what caused it all to happen, really. It there were things building up to that moment that were already wrong, but I was kind of missing them because before I went to college, I spent all of my energy and time trying to prove to my educators and my parents and my therapists that I was well enough to go five hours away for college. And then when I got there, it was like, oh, I can breathe. I don't have to work so hard. And it was almost like that year of treatment was almost gone because finally all the pressure to be well and perfect went out the window and I felt like, oh, I can be myself. And it was so stressful being in college and stress is also a major trigger for me and all the stress accumulating. And then that thing happened. It was like the last straw and I just lost it. And I went to my aunt, my aunts and my mom. And I said, I cannot keep myself safe. And that's how I know I need to be in a hospital because I cannot be a safe space for myself right now. So when I went I was inpatient for a week and it was both experiences at the hospital were what I needed at the time. And an outpatient, I mentioned to the people I was working with, like, hey, a few years ago, I, it was talked about borderline and I kind of want to revisit that idea because it's been a few years. I was, so I was 19 at this point and I actually spent my 19th birthday in the hospital, um, which was sad, but it was, the staff tried to make it okay. They bought me like a little birthday cake. It was like that big. And so they tried to make it a happy day. Um, but I wanted to revisit that because I wasn't as scared of it anymore, but I was like, that was something that stuck out to me. And I want to make sure that I'm not living my life one way when I should be focusing on something that can make it better. And I did a lot of research and I, and what was great about that was that the doctors listened to me and me and what I felt matched myself and what I felt aligned. And so we ended up not going with a borderline diagnosis, but what I really loved about that experience was that the doctors listened to me and what I felt was true to me. And they didn't just say, well, we think you're this way. It was very collaborative. So, but it's still something I think about is like, Hmm. And what's hard about it is borderline and bipolar overlap an extreme amount. One of the reasons we didn't go with that diagnosis was because bipolar fits so well. And it was very difficult to distinguish between the two in some of the symptoms and we felt that it wasn't it didn't fit well enough to give in a formal label but um both my hospitalization experiences were what i needed at that point in my life i really love that you that you honor that and that you talk about that because i know people are so scared and sometimes i think i wasn't admitted i went to um the, this place for eight days that was like um, an in-between because I was going off on medication. Right. Um, but if they would have taken me in, I, I, I would have went because I was like not leaving anywhere until I, I received a diagnosis or because I knew that I, it wasn't going to get better unless I... Yeah. Okay? And I love that you were so like aware enough and and went because I think Honestly, if you're someone that's thinking that you need to go to the hospital, you, you need to go to the hospital. Yeah. You know what? The alternative is much worse. Yeah. And, but I, I relate with those fears of going to the hospital because when I, before I'd had my first hospitalization experience, all that I knew about psych hospitals was what I'd seen in movies and TV shows. And that's really scary. Uh, yeah. That's terrifying. And then So I had a lot of anxiety about that. But like you said, I knew that I hated what I was experiencing more than I hated being hospitalized. And when I went, so my dad came with me. So I drove there in an ambulance. He drove in his car. And so he was there with me. And they, the first thing they do is they take you in, you get rid of all of your clothes. They check 
your body for any scarring or any marks to make sure that you're physically safe and okay. Um, and then, you know, they give you some toiletries before um, maybe your parents can come in and bring you stuff. I I have a lot of clothes. And so it ended up being that my parents brought so many clothes because I was there for a while. And I remember just like my part of the closet being very full, but and it was also freezing in there. It was like summer. So they had the AC blasting. It was always cold. So it was summer outside, but I was dressed for winter inside. And, but when I went and I like looked around, I was like, oh, this isn't what I thought it would be. And I can acknowledge that I was privileged to have a positive experience for the most part, because there are many people who have less positive experience than I've had. And I was very lucky to be in a place where it felt safe. And, but I, like after that experience, my whole idea of what a mental hospital was and the people who are in it totally changed because it was, and it was weird because I remember sitting there judging other people for being there and then going, oh wait, I'm yeah. here too. <laughs> and then being, right, having to realize like, oh, you're their equal and dealing with that kind of stigma and judgment that I felt towards myself because before I did any mental health stuff I had all of the same stigmas and labels and ideas about it that everyone else does 100%, yes and I'm still trying to dig some out right yeah it, we've all learned them it's a learned yeah. behavior a learned understanding yeah for sure yeah wow wow um so uh, and you know what I never asked it, uh, do you have a bipolar one diagnosis or two diagnoses? I have bipolar one. One. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I'm always so so curious um, curious about that. So, I guess honestly, I just want to thank you so much for being so honest and open. You know, with your story, I know that sometimes it's hard because people have told us that this is our shame story, but it's yeah, it's just not. And I love the way you just. Um, own it and claim your history and your past and your struggles and that you have you know woven it into this beautiful way of of sharing and making other people feel less alone and I know even you know thank you for that giving me an aha moment but also you know just thank you for for sharing every time someone shares I just feel I know how hard it is and so I just feel so grateful I'm so grateful for your page. I, I love it. It's wonderful. Oh, um, thank you. Every, every, everything um, in our in our show notes where you'll be able to find her. We will take her, follow along. We will all be buying your book. We will line up for your book. Thank you. Yeah, of course. And I could talk to you all day. But one thing, there's two final questions I'd like to ask you. And one is, we're always talking about like what is helpful, what isn't helpful. And I would love to hear, is there one helpful or beautiful thing that someone has said or done for you that really meant a lot um, um, to you? The one thing that I think people, not just one person, but people have done for me that has really meant a lot is be open-minded and support me when I needed the support. There are specific times in my mind where I felt very alone and very lost and I leaned on people and they let me lean on them and they were the most incredible supports. And I so like, I'm incredibly grateful to those people. They changed my life. And then finally, what would you say to someone that is struggling right now? That's a really hard question to answer. And I say that's a hard question to answer because everyone's struggles are different. And I think the one thing that I would believe resonates with most people is that no matter what you're struggling with, it is valid. And 
you don't need to compare it to somebody else's struggles to make it valid for you. Whatever Joe Schmo is having a hard time with over there doesn't mean that you're not having a hard time. And once we get out of those intrusive thoughts and we focus on our health and stop comparing it and our lives to others, we glow. There is a spark inside you and there is a way to flourish. And like Tatiana said, there is, you, you can and will glow again. And so thank you so much for listening, Tatiana. Thank you for being here. Um, I'm so excited um, to, to put this out in the world and that people can hear your story. So this is bipolar. <laughs>